Pastor Chris's podcast. So it has been 10 or 11 weeks since we had a regular on-site worship service and the sanctuary was full of people here at Pleasant Grove. In fact, all over the world, it has been months since congregations have gathered in sanctuaries for worship, as is our tradition. Does this mean that we are no longer the church? Absolutely not. In fact, during these crazy times, the church has been more active doing God's work than we've ever been before, in, in, at least in my memory. And I know I have been busier than ever before. Um, I've been doing Zoom meetings and Google Hangout meetings and phone calls and text messages, and I've been learning new technology. I have become a medical expert and a media expert and a Bible expert and a statistical expert and a sociological expert. Not really, but I have been learning about all of those things and, and trying to apply all of those things, and it's got my head spinning, honestly. It has been so crazy. I've been doing a daily devotion every morning at 7 a.m., um, for about two months now, every morning at 7 a.m. I do it, and I love doing it. I love doing it, and I invite you to join in with me. But I don't even think about it anymore. I get up and I do it. Until this morning, this morning was the very first time in two months I was here at the church. I got here at about 5.30 this morning. was making final preparations and tweaks for the sermon today. And um, normally I stop at 7 a.m. and I do my devotion but I looked down and it was 8 o'clock and I had completely forgotten about my devotion this morning. So I apologize if you were there and you were waiting for that. I just completely forgot this morning. And that's just a sign that, um, that I, my head is spinning and I'm not thinking clearly. So, But I have been super busy. In fact, I have hardly taken a real day off of work since this all began. Even on my days off, I have been emailing, and I've been fielding text messages and phone calls, and I've been pondering if I wasn't doing anything else, thinking about things. And uh, one day soon, for my own health and personal well-being, I'm going to have to take some time off just to unplug from everything, which means I will be turning off my phone, turning off my computer, and if you try to call me or get in touch with me, you won't get me, because I'm going to be completely unplugged. That's coming soon, um, because I need it. But believe it or not, you have been busy too. Um, You may not have been doing the things that I'm doing, and you may not even feel like you have been busy, but you have. Have you been staying at home, doing absolutely nothing? Uh, Your sacrifice of staying at home and doing nothing is for your own safety, but it's also for the safety of others. That's sacrificial love, and that is work. I was uh, calling and talking to some people this week, and um, you know I've, I've been going and going and going and busy and busy and busy, and, and it was surprising to me, and I've talked to a few people, and they said, you know, I talked to one person, she said, I haven't left my house. I literally have not left my house in two months, except only to go outside uh, to walk on the street in front of my house. And I thought, wow, that, I mean, you just stop and think about that, that's incredible. That, uh, that is work. It doesn't seem like work. It's not the kind of thing we normally think of as work, but just doing nothing for that long 
is incredibly difficult. Uh, have, you been, have you been living by faith through all of this? You know, we are a people who like to know what's going to happen. We like to make our plans. We like to, summer's coming up, and we want to know that we're going on vacation or we're going on this trip at such and such a date. And there is so much that is uncertain right now. They're just, it's like slogging through mud. You don't know where to put your feet and how you're going to get traction and what's going to happen. We've had to live by faith in so many things and just say, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to be able to plan the beach trip. I don't know if we're going to be able to have vacation Bible school. I don't know if we're going to be able to go on a trip. We'll just have to wait and see. And living in that way is faith and it is work. But faith is the bedrock of the Christian way of living. So um, we've been able to practice that. Have you been busy by reaching out to people, calling people, texting people, emailing people, uh, video conferencing with people? Whatever you've been doing, you've been busy. Or are you one of those essential workers that have been going to the hospitals or going to the very places that everybody else is saying stay away from, stay at home, stay safe, and yet, because it is your job, you've been going to those places. Um, you've been busy. You know, the New Testament church that we read about in the Bible and we learn about from history, they had to deal with and work around a lot of things. They also had to deal with plagues. They also had to deal with persecutions. They couldn't always meet inside the same building or all together because of things. You know, some people are saying right now, you know, whether it's safe or not to sing in public. It was not always safe for the New Testament church to sing in public because someone might hear them and the authorities might come in and arrest them and drag them off and torture them and kill them because of their faith. And so they had to work around all of these things just as we are having to do as well. Now today, I want to continue our message series titled, Ecclesia, which is about the purpose of the church. What is the church? What is our purpose? The Greek word for church used in the New Testament is ecclesia. It roughly translates to mean the called out ones. The church is those who are called out of something. The church that Jesus Christ established is composed of people who are called out of darkness and into light. We are people who are called out of shame and into nobility. We are those who are called out of a fallen world, called into God's glorious kingdom. So, we are studying about the ecclesia, the ones who are called out. Now, it can be confusing, because whenever we talk about the church, we usually use that word to describe a building, right? You're driving down the road and you pass a pretty church. You say, oh, look at that. Isn't that a pretty church? But we're talking about the building when we say that. But really, in a biblical sense, in a Christian sense, the church refers to the congregation. The people who were called out of darkness into light and called out of shame into nobility called out of a fallen world into God's kingdom. The church is a group of people who have been called out of something old into something new. 
A group of people who have been called out of something ugly into something beautiful. And so that's what I want you to think of. When I'm talking about the church, as much as I can, I am trying to use the word church to refer to the people, not the building. Now I want to read from God's Word this morning. And in this message, in this scripture, I want you to understand that you are a Gentile. We're going to be talking about Gentiles and Jews, but you are a Gentile. Unless you were born as a Jew, you are a Gentile in this passage. And I think that refers to most people, probably, that are listening today. But the scripture I'm reading is Ephesians chapter 2, and it's verses 11 through 22. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Now let me just pause for a moment and say this. How does it feel to think of yourself as an outsider? We don't like to be called outsiders, do we? We want to be in the in crowd or the in group. We want to be on the inside. We don't want to, be, we don't want to think of ourselves as being outsiders. But this says, don't ever forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. And going on, you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. You were proud to, they who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Again, let me pause here. How does it feel to be called a heathen? We don't usually like to be thought of as heathens. A heathen is an uncivilized person who lacks morals and is an enemy of God. And you were called uncircumcised heathens going on in those days you were living apart from Christ you were excluded from citizenship among the people of of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises God made to them you lived in this world without God and without hope how does it think how does it feel to think about going through life without God and without hope. That's an awful thought. But going on in verse 13, but now you have been united with Jesus Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in His own body on the cross He broke down the wall of hostility that separates us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from Him, and peace to Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are His house built on the foundation of of the apostles and the prophets. 
And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Throughout all of the ages, people of all different times and all different places have tried to worship God. There's something within the human heart that, that makes us long to worship. It's because God designed us to be that way. But because of sin, our, that memory within us that tells us to worship has been clouded and darkened, so we don't know how to do it right. So we've all tried to do it in different ways. But we've all tried to worship. And most people groups throughout time and places and throughout history have built temples where we could worship our gods or our God, depending on how we looked at it. And you can think that in, a, in one sense of thinking, a temple, building a temple for people was a way to try to control God. I mean, they... Who are we as mere mortals to tell God that he has to meet us in any certain place? If there is a God or many gods, they are obviously bigger and more powerful than us, and we're just mere mortals. Why would, we, why would they ever feel like they had to come meet us in any particular place? But because we are fearful people, and we look around at an uncertain world that's full of of danger and things that are outside of our control, we have wanted to have some way to influence God or make our gods that we worship happy so that they will treat us well. Throughout history, people have equated things like the weather and the fertility of their crops in the fields and whether there was an earthquake or a volcano or anything that was outside of their control, they attributed those uncertain, dangerous powers to different gods. It was the god of the sky and the god of the storm and the god of the earth and so on and so forth. And they would build a temple where they could worship that god to try to either, to try to control that god in some way, either by doing things that made that god happy so that that god would do good things for them or not. But people would build these temples for their gods so that they could have some kind of influence on their god. But the one true living God, the God who created it all, the God that the Bible teaches us about, the God of the universe, cannot and will not be controlled, and He does not need buildings whatsoever. He does not need a temple in which to live. Acts chapter 7, verse 48 says, The Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. And Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1 says, God speaking said, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Absolutely not. You look at a mountain the glorious majesty of a mountain. You look at the wonder of the stars in the heaven. We can't, do, we can't build anything that even comes close to that. God doesn't need us to build him any kind of temple, no matter 
how magnificent it is. No matter how beautiful the stained glass is in our church buildings, that doesn't compare in any small way to the wonder and the glory of God's creation. He doesn't need that from us. And yet, God is always, not because He needed it, but because we needed it, God has sought to find ways to be or to welcome people into His presence for times of worship. When God liberated the Jews from slavery in Egypt, they were wandering through the desert on their way to a land that God was going to give them called the Promised Land. And as they wandered through the desert, they lived in tents. What more humble dwelling place could you imagine than living in a tent? Not even having a permanent roof over your head. Just some fabric to maybe shelter you from the elements. They lived in tents as they traveled along toward their new homeland. And so, the God of the universe, who made heaven and earth, humbled himself and lived in a tent among his people. He wanted to be there with them. He wanted to live as they did. So they built a tent. It was called the tabernacle. And we look at it as a, a grand, holy place, but really what it was was a, just a tent, a portable dwelling place. It's not that God needed it, but people needed it. The tabernacle was where people came to worship God. And it was a place where God revealed Himself to the people and where He offered guidance to the people along the way. God appeared in the tabernacle in the Old Testament in Exodus it says, as a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. The wondrous, awesome presence of God filled the tabernacle. And whenever the Spirit of God moved, the Israelites packed up the tabernacle tent and they followed God. They followed Him all the way until they found themselves entering into the promised land. When the Israelites settled down in their new homeland in Israel, they began to build permanent houses to live in. And God continued to live among His people in a temple made of stone, like the way His people lived. God, again, chose to reveal His presence among His people in a dwelling that was like what His people lived in. It was the most impressive building in their city, and people would travel from all over the world to worship God in the temple. But because people are so full of sin, no one could completely come into the presence of God. Whether it was in a tabernacle or whether it was in a temple. People were restricted. Gentiles and sinners and women were not allowed to enter into fully into the temple. People who had any kind of illness or handicap or deformity were not allowed to come fully into the presence of the temple. Only Jewish men who were in good standing were allowed inside, close to God. And only those men who were priests were allowed into the Holy of Holies in the temple, close to God. And only, of those priests, only the holiest priest, one man, was allowed into the holiest place, in the presence of God, the high priest could come in, but only once a year after strenuous preparations to purify him and make him absolutely as possibly clean as possible, 
He could come in on the Day of Atonement to be in the very presence of God, in the holiest of holies, in the holy temple, in the holy nation of Israel. Now, you might be wondering, well, why all of these exclusions? If God wants to be among His people, why would there be any exclusion at all? These exclusions were not because God didn't want to be near His people. To the contrary, the very fact that the God of the universe would choose to live in a building at all is absolute proof that God did want to be near His people. However, sin separates us from God. The presence of God is so perfectly pure and holy, it consumes sin like a blazing hot fire consumes dry leaves. It was the mercy of God that caused God to keep sinful people at arm's length. It was for their own safety. It's not because God didn't want to be near them. It's because He knew that if He was near them, they would vanish and cease to exist. They would be completely consumed by His holiness. But then, an amazing thing happened. We call it the Gospel. The good news. And it's such good news. Because God took human form and He came into the world as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And God lived among His people as a man. And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but He died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but He was raised to life in the Spirit. Now, now through faith in Jesus Christ, we can be completely absolved of all sin. So there is now absolutely nothing at all that can separate us from God. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39 says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the amazing truth of the Gospel. The good news. And it is such good news. People have been searching for that closeness with God since the beginning of time. And God has been wanting that closeness for us since the beginning of time. And now because of Christ, it is possible. And so as we consider the purpose of the church, we understand that the church is where God lives. The church is where we meet with God, where we commune with God, where we worship and adore God, where we build our relationship with God. Which is what we are created to do. 
The church is the temple of God. But remember, you've got to understand, the church is not a building. The church is the people. Which people? The church is those people who have faith in Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Matthew 16, 16. Remember my sermon last week? We read Matthew chapter 16. And in verse 17, Jesus said to Peter, remember Peter said, Jesus, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, and upon this rock, in other words, the rock of this faith, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And now, this morning, we've read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, the scripture says, Together, we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ Himself. We are carefully joined together in Him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, And you... You, and you, and you, and you, and you, you are living stones that God is building into His spiritual temple. What's more, you are His holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And once again, we're not talking about a physical building, a physical structure, or, or any physical building. If this building here that, that, that we are streaming, live streaming from, if it no longer existed, we would still be the church. The purpose of the physical building is simply to provide space. It's a tool that can be used for us to meet together. You know, in the beginning... Pleasant Grove, do you know why it's named Pleasant Grove? Um, what I was told when I first came here is because back in the early 1800s, when this Pleasant Grove congregation first began to worship the Lord, they didn't have a building. They, had, they just were looking for a good place to get together, and they found a, a Pleasant Grove of trees that were shade, filled with shade, and they would gather under the shade of the trees get out of the sun, and they would worship the Lord together. And they would fellowship together. And they would study God's Word together. And they would grow as a people together. That's where the name comes from. In the beginning, they didn't have a building. But, you know, sun gets hot and shade's not always shady enough. Sometimes the rain comes down. And so they start thinking, well, it'd be good if we had a a roof, at least, over our heads to protect us. So they built a roof. I don't even think they had walls around it. It was called a tabernacle. It was a, it was a pavilion. It was just a place to get out of the rain. It was just a tool, a tool to help them be together more effectively. And over the years, needs have grown and the world has changed. And we've gotten to a place where we now have a building 
that has pews and has beautiful lights and stained glass windows and air conditioning because we all got to have air conditioning, especially as we get ready to go into the month of June and July. It's going to get hot. But the building is just a tool. The same way that a car is just a tool that helps you to get from one place to the other. It's getting where you're going that's really what's important. What is it about us as a congregation that's really important? It's the way we are the, we, the people, are the temple of God. We embody the Holy Spirit of God in our lives as we are together. The purpose of the physical building is just a tool to help us do that. And if the physical building, here's the thing, this, this, this might scare you or maybe blow your mind a little bit. If the physical building ever hinders us from being the church God called us to be, we should abandon it. Think about this. This is what Jesus said. You know, Jesus and his disciples in the 24th chapter of Matthew, they're walking in Jerusalem, and they see the temple over there. It's a glorious building full of majestic stones and gold and silver. People from all over the world come to worship in this temple. And the, the disciples look at it and say, look at that. Oh, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it wonderful? And if you've ever had a, an emotional, sentimental attachment to a church or a special place, you see that special place and your heart just, oh, it just blesses your heart. Brings tears to your eyes as you think of it. And these disciples look at the temple and that's what they see. And they, they're just, oh, isn't it wonderful? And here's what Jesus had the audacity to say. He said, tear down this temple. And in three days, I'll rebuild it. And of course, what do the people say? He's crazy. It took over 40 years to build this temple, and he's going to rebuild it in three days. How dare he say, tear down the holy temple of God? But what was Jesus talking about? He wasn't talking about rebuilding a physical structure in three days. How many days was Jesus in the grave? Three days. And then he rose to new life, and he established the church. Not a building, but a people who are called to embody the Holy Spirit of God. Now we're going to look more at the purpose of the church next week, but I want to close for today. And as I close, I want to invite everyone to truly consider, are you church do you believe that jesus is the messiah the chosen one the son of the living god you know you can't be the church if you don't have faith in the messiah the son of the living god that's one of the prerequisites it's a fundamental belief it's the foundation that supports the church do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And I want you to think about this too, because you have been called out of shame, but you have to start walking by faith out of that shame 
into the noble life that God has for you. It's a life where you are a living stone of God's holy temple, and you are a holy priest. And it may be that you don't feel like much of a temple, and you don't feel like much of a priest. Maybe you've done some things that think, I am anything but holy. But the good news is that because of Christ, you can leave behind. You can leave all that behind. You can leave behind the shame. And you can become holy. That's God's plan for you. But you have to have faith. And you have to start the journey. And it's, uh, it's one step at a time. And so if you want to do that, do you want to leave the shame behind? Do you want to start becoming the holy temple that God wants you to be? I hope you do. And if you do, let me pray with you about that right now. Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? Lord God, I am so thankful that for thousands of years you've been reaching out to your people and now through what Christ has done for us, you've made a way. You've made a way for us to be called out of darkness and into light, to be called out of shame and into holiness. And Lord God, there's somebody that's worshiping with me right now that, that feels that call. Maybe they're afraid. Maybe they uh, are ashamed. Maybe they, they just don't know if they can do it. But they're hoping, oh Lord, they have a seed of faith in their heart that maybe, somehow, with your help, it is possible. I thank you for that seed of faith that's in their heart right now. And I pray, oh God, that you water it and that we would all together see it begin to grow and to blossom. Because you've called us to be your holy people, your holy temple. And that person, or those people that are praying right now, I want that, Lord. So I pray, God, that, that you build that faith in them more and more and more. And help them, O oh Lord, to reach out to me or to others for the encouragement and the advice and the guidance that they need on this journey. We all need help along the way. That's why you called us to be the church together. We're not, all in, we're not in this by ourselves. So Lord, help us to trust one another and encourage one another and listen to one another as we grow together as your church. Lord, this is my prayer. And I make it in the name of Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the Chosen One, your Son. Amen. What you said you never do again
shadow.